Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we have on the podcast for the first time, John Eldridge. Welcome to the show, sir. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Thanks for having me on. Well, uh, between the two of us, we have sold over 4 million copies of our writing. So it is great uh, for us to be together uh, sharing in that commonality that we have. Oh, yeah, good. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, you know, I've heard people talk about uh, surviving success. And uh, the book that I assume most people know you for is Wild at Heart. And it has been uh, wildly commercially successful. And have you found yourself, I know you've written a, a ton of books. Um, ha- have you found yourself having to compete with the success of that book? Or, or have you done some sort of practice to say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to compare against that? You know, um, early on, it was a roller coaster ride emotionally. And then I just, my publisher sends me monthly, you know, mm-hmm. charts. And I just don't open them anymore. It's, really? Yeah, it's a spiritual discipline. I just, I just don't want to go for that ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, um, emotionally, I want to be grounded in why I write, mm-hmm. which is to help people. And not get taken for the, just taken for the uh, ride that the whole commercial thing is is going to, you know, you, you get whiplash, e- either with highs or lows. You know, highs are just as bad because cause, um, it gives you the, uh, some wrong impressions as well. What, what kind of wrong impressions can success give, give us? Well, <clears throat> if you remember in the movie Gladiator, uh, Lucilla says to her brother, the mob is fickle, brother. The mob is fickle. Just because something's popular doesn't mean God's in it. Uh, there's all mm-hmm. kinds of things out there that are wildly popular that are drivel, uh, you know, or, or, or horrible or dark or harmful. Mm-hmm. You know, prostitution's wildly <laughs> popular. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mean that it's good. So, so popularity is not an indication really of much it's uh, and that's why that's why it can be a false um barometric reading mm-hmm. but I, what i'd rather hear is what's the impact how are people doing how is god using my work in in people's lives hmm. I, I would assume with a book that has had the commercial reaches that one that uh, not only with the praise there probably comes a lot of criticism as well when sure. you have you done uh obviously the practice of not looking at uh the charts for how successful or not successful a writing is doing um is there some practice to also uh safeguard yourself against uh, criticism that might not be helpful criticism well you know it depends on the tone of it because uh, people write of course um and <clears throat> email and you know reach out to our our ministry and if it's thoughtful i want to respond i i would love mm-hmm. to help Clarify mistakes, you know, the wild well, heart thing. Uh, people mistake it as the message of you need to be Rambo, you need to be a lumberjack. You know, if you're not a Navy yeah. SEAL, you're not a man. And and uh, I address all that directly in the book. I, I literally say that's not what this book is about. But if I can help disarm that in people's lives um, on any of my works, uh, you know, if there's misunderstanding. In other words, thoughtful criticism can be the opening of a really good conversation. But if it's just if it's just trolling, if it's just, you know, um, that's just not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. There has to be a level of uh, detachment from the work that you can enable someone to give a, a critique and listen to it and to evaluate it so that it's not, this is not an attack on my, my character or, or my identity or my, my understanding of my value. It, it, do you feel like that's required to be able to hear the criticism in a healthy way? It's huge. Luke, that's it. You named it. That identity and value, um, we all need it. Those are, those are good things, and we're all seeking it. And I think on a regular basis, we have to kind of recalibrate, oops, I guess I was putting my identity in that, yeah. uh, you know, in that opportunity, in that friendship, in that, you know, position in my career or whatever. And, and we all have to do that. We have to continually kind of recalibrate, wait, 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 I'm a son, I'm a daughter of God, my identity is secure, I'm loved, I'm well. Uh, and I actually like that. I like, yes, criticism can expose where I am placing my value. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. If you could put your therapist hat on for a second, uh, in someone, obviously, most of us, the way that uh, we let our image be uh, placed in something that's not helpful, don't have, you know, New York Times bestseller or, you know, notoriety, but there's still ways that most of us do this. Um, what would you say as a therapist are like indicators that we can look to and say, this is when our identity and our image and our value is coming from something that it shouldn't be coming from? Anger, <clears throat> you know. Anger, how anger. so? Yeah, what pisses you off? Like, if somebody says something that just fries you, like, you got to stop and go, whoa, wait a second, what is with my anger? What? Why am I fried over that? Somebody criticizes the way you drive, the way you run, you know, mm-hmm. the way you do your hair, That's good. you know, and, mm-hmm. and if you have a, if there's an anger response, they are touching on something. Um, I, I think disappointment's healthy, but when we are fried because of something someone said, I think that's a, I think that's an indication. Um, I think a loss of joy, I, I, the roller coaster would be, I, I mentioned it at, a few yeah. months ago, the roller coaster. Yeah. If you find yourself on an emotional roller coaster of high and low, in and out, I'm loved, I'm not loved, I'm doing good, I'm not doing good. If you're on that roller coaster, that's a really good indication that you are placing your love and value in things that are highly unpredictable. Yeah, yeah, I, I like the idea of the roller coaster. Uh, but also the anger is very... Uh, Spot on. I had a conversation. My father's a psychologist. And uh, so I get free counseling every, well, quite often. And so I've talked to my dad a a while back and I'm getting angry about something. And he goes, you know, what does this anger say about you? And I go, no, 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 it's not about me. It's about this thing I'm angry about. No, no, no. What does it say about you? And uh, I I think that's often a a clear window into our soul when you have those extreme responses to things that maybe don't really necessitate that extreme of a response. Yeah. Yeah, my, my favorite phrase is, what's that about? And I'll, I'll, huh. just, I'll just ask it of, of anything that looks a little out of place, you know. It, what, hmm. it could be anger. It, it could be depression. If I find myself really in a funk, I just need to stop and go, whoa, what's that about? Where did this start? Where did this come from? What's Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So you have three adult sons. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself uh, turning into therapist mode on them when they don't want it? Just I'm hypothetically as someone who might have experienced that once or twice. Yeah. Uh, do you ever pull that? Hey, son, I see you're <clears throat> upset about this. What is that really about? Um, only, only if I feel like the timing is right. 
I, I don't I don't need to practice on them. They don't <laughs> they don't want to be practiced on. Yeah. Um, but of course, I, I think that's a question for any person who loves another human being. It's not just therapist, yeah. you know, to family member. It's it's hanging out with your friends. It's it's your wife. It's your husband. It, you know, it, if yeah. someone's not doing well, uh, it's a very kind thing to say, well, why? Yeah. Why? What's that about? Man, it's a great. Yeah. You seem fried. Well, What's that about? You know, you, you seem lost. What's that yeah. about? You know, I think you're exactly right. And I think there's an area in most people's life that uh, the question, what's that about, um, could definitely be directed to. And it's actually the subject matter of the new book, Get Your Life Back, which you, it's coming out uh, right around now. And it's about the, one of the things is about technology and the way that technology has um, assaulted many parts of us, not just our attention, but uh, many facets of our life. And uh, w- one of the nice things about being a podcaster is I get books in the mail literally multiple times a week. Um, and they're always coming in. And I'm very grateful for that. And one of the main subjects that keeps coming in is technology and what it's doing to our souls. And th- this is clearly like something that's central to the zeitgeist of right now, that we're aware that technology is, a, is growing in its influence and its impact on us, but we don't really know what to do. And so you write this book uh, about that. Um, part of the story that you start with is that like all of us, that you found yourself in a moment where it's like, this this is having an effect on my soul. And the frenetic pace that you found yourself in, I think is one that many people uh, find ourselves in. And if you're going to ask the question, what is that about when it comes to technology and our frenetic connection to it? How do you think most of us are going to answer that question? I don't think we like being asked the question. Let's be honest, because... It, it, it's going to expose, and we know it. We know we're we know we're more connected than we ought to be. We're overconnected. We know it, yeah. and, and we're checking our mobile devices way too many times a day. And you know, it's the first right. thing we look at in the morning, and the last thing we look at before we go to bed. We know that. I don't think we like the question, and, and that's why I titled the book um, "Get Your Life Back." What I'd rather, what I'd rather, you know, put it in the context of is you're a human being. And you get to be a human being, and you don't have to live at the pace of smartphones. But you know, because the lie was technology was going to get us all this margin, right? It's it's going to give you this room, you know, and you're going to finally learn to paint or learn another language, or you know, you can have time for your kids or whatever that is, right? But but what it is, we're actually trying to keep up with the pace of the microchip. I mean, we're everybody's moving so fast is because technology enables us to get so much done, right? I mean, it's, it's astounding how much communication you can accomplish in 30 minutes, you know, between social media and texting and your phone and your email. I mean, you can get a lot done, but I just want to point out, I, I think it's really, I think it's brutal on the human soul. Yeah. Yeah. You, if anyone's had any familiarity with your work, they know that you are a big fan of nature, of, of being outdoors. Uh, I, I guess horses have been a part of your life for a while now. And you tell this, this great story about uh, the way that horses, you, you live Colorado Springs, is that yeah. right? In the yep. area? And you have two horses now, right? I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there are a bunch of predators at night who come out and in the morning that you have to... Uh, like soothe and calm down these horses and the way that you can tell if they're calmed down 
is that like sigh or what is the horse term for a big sigh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just let out this big, beautiful sigh. They really yeah. do. And you can, they lower their head and they relax and you can see they just went off hypervigilant mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but it's not just horses that do that. It's right. us too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think we're aware how much our world triggers us into hypervigilant mode. Mm-hmm. Constant alerts, constant notifications, the you know level of the car playing music next to us, you know the the inundation of media coming at us. You know they did they did surveys. This this is terrible. Um, after nine eleven, <clears throat> they discovered that people who watched the twin towers on fire and then collapse experience the same level of PTSD as people who are on the streets in New York. Wow. So exposure to traumatic events is traumatizing. And when you think about how much of that stuff is coming at you all the time in your newsfeed, right? It's just, it's there it is, you know? Yeah. it's um, this is all in the spirit of kindness where we're trying to say, what would it be like to be kind to to our souls? And and part of it is, well, you, you, you got to unplug a little, not not completely. You don't have to, you don't have to become monks. We don't have to all move to the South Pacific. Uh, lovely as that would be. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Right. Because we can't set these unrealistic expectations. Most of us are plugged in largely because we need to be because of our work or because of our kids or whatever, right? Yeah. You know, but I think we can begin to look at what is this doing to us? And here, uh, before the podcast, you were asking me a little bit about my family, and um, I've got three grandchildren. And one of the effects, where this book began, was I noticed that I could not play with them for more than about five minutes. Wow. And, I, and then I would be distracted. I'd want to check my phone. I'd want to see what was happening in the world. I'd want to look at email. You know, I just I, my I was so plugged in that I couldn't be present to little people. Now we're talking you know, three, two, one years old, little people, and little people. There's no there's no world. There is only the present moment and whoever is in the room with them. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful and it's incredibly good for me to to need to be present to them. But I was, I was recognizing, whoa, 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 hang on. I love these people. And I'm having a difficult time being present to them. So, you know, you're asking good barometers. Here's another good barometer is when people ask you, hey, how you doing? Do you even know? Oh. Oh, that question's painful. Uh, do you even know how you are? What, what do you think most most of us are just going through an autopilot that we don't have <clears throat> yeah. actual access to how we yeah. actually are doing? Yeah, we give a BS answer, right? Good, oh. good, man. Good. How are you? We quickly deflect the question, try and get it back on them. How are you? Yeah, that's a deflection. Yeah, yeah, fine. Great, great, man. Great. How are you? Like, get it, get, I don't want to be the focus of that question mm-hmm. because the honest yeah. truth is we don't know. We don't know yeah. how we're yeah. And so one of the prescriptions that you give in the book is a very accessible pr- prescription. It's not move to the Southeast. It's not to, or Pacific Southeast. It's not, uh, you know, burn your laptop and your phone. It's a one minute pause, which I can do a one minute pause. 
And we see in, in much older religious traditions that you have, um, you know, multiple prayers throughout the day and you're offering these prayers. Um, but something like this, uh, especially those of us who are uh, not from a uh, heavenly uh, li- uh, liturgical or um, a deeply, you know, uh, traditional uh, form yeah. of Christianity, we go, oh, this, I, this makes sense. It's, it's new to me, but it makes sense. How can you see something as simple as a one-minute pause really making a difference? Well, first off, there's some really great brain research that shows that simply pausing during your day resets your ability to be present. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's a reset in your neurochemistry, but but also just from a soulful perspective, I just found um, I knew I was fried. And, and that's kind of where the book began. I was having a difficult time being present. I wasn't enjoying the things that normally brought me joy. I was always on. I just had one speed. My speed was go. Yeah. And, and so Jesus introduced the idea of just pausing. Just pause. 60 seconds. We're not asking for heroics here. 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. Where did Jesus introduce this? <clears throat> so I get home in the evening, and normally I would just get out of my truck and run straight into the next thing, Right. Yeah. And he would just say, just don't open the door. Just Oh, this is your experience with, with Jesus. That's yeah, what you're saying. Personal. Okay, got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And he would say, just sit here, John. Just sit here. Just breathe. Pause. Let it all go. And and kind of like the feel of dreams thing, if you build it, he will come. If you create a little bit of space, God is there. He's right there. Yeah. And, and my reaction was, where have you been all day? <laughs> you know, and yeah. when the truth is, it's, you know, where have I been all day? But it's, yeah. it's been absolutely wonderful. It's a, it's a game changer. It's so easy. It's so helpful to do. And so then I started using my phone, you know, to set my notification to do it a couple times a day. Now we... It, ten and two, right? Ten and two. Yeah. Now in our offices, we actually play these bells ring out. And everybody, everybody on the staff, 17 people, stop whatever they're doing, meetings, phone calls, stop, 60 seconds, let it all go, let it all go, find God again, find yourself again. And what I love about that, I love about the 60 second thing is it's so doable. That's a very, that's a very small ask for some pretty big returns. Yeah. So you talk about 10 and two, when you get to work, when you're coming home from work, and these minute pauses. Now, I, I have di- different parts of my day, but I find myself doing small incremental times of contemplation. And for as simple as they seem to, de- to be described, like, oh, how, how would that make a difference? I mean, th- there's a reason Christians have been doing this for literally thousands of years. There's something here. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it, it really is. And it, it goes back to just the nature of the soul. Your, your soul is meant to pause. You're you know the, <clears throat> the Jewish word for Sabbath, the Hebrew word for Sabbath, Shabbat, literally means to stop. Mm-hmm. It actually doesn't mean to rest. It means to stop. Hmm. You stop so that you can rest, and so you just stop a couple mm-hmm. times a day. You just you know, and now I I try and like before this, I okay, so I was in some meetings, and then I had some phone calls, and I had some email. And then I knew you and I were going to have this conversation. And so instead of going right up into the moment that you called, I took a break. 
just stop. Just pause between the things that you're doing in your day and let your soul catch up. It's, it's uh, really That's good. That's good. I, I, I'm a big checklist fan. And uh, I go to my board, I check them off. And what if it was just take that, that pause, that sigh that the horse would do every time he checks them off. Just constantly pulling yourself back to, I'm, I'm here, I'm not a, a human doing, I'm a human being, I am a beloved child of God. Like, yes, and it, it seems that um, the language you use for, I, th- I think what can happen when, when we create these practices is a benevolent detachment. Now, the word detachment is a pretty common word. Uh, the pairing of them, though, benevolent de- detachment, why did you sense the need to add the word benevolent to detachment? Well, because the word detached um, has taken on negative con- connotations, and there are, there are some. Attachment disorder is, is, a, is a huge, very real thing. Uh, and people having a hard time forming meaningful relationships and meaningful connections and that kind of thing. So that's a, that's a genuine concern. But when we add benevolent to it, it's not something done in cynicism. It's not something done in anger. Benevolent means kind. Yeah. It actually means loving. It, it, it means that I am going to let it all go as an act of kindness, both to my own soul and, and to the world. You know, Because mm-hmm. uh, the, the human soul is a very finite thing. And you mm-hmm. are... We were, we were never designed, we, it's, it's TMI, we were never designed to have this much information coming at us. Never designed to, to be plugged in like this. The soul was not, you know, this morning, what was it, you know, for me on NPR, it was what's happening in Iran, what's happening in Iraq, what's happening in, with Trump, you know, the, there's mm-hmm. fires in Australia, there's the earthquake in Puerto Rico, the, right? And you just got to go, whoa, 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 somewhere in your day. You have got to let all that go. And, and I mean really let it go. Like your kids, the church, your work, the upcoming meeting, your parents' health. Like I'm talking about the stuff you really care about. You literally went through my entire life right there. Thank you. Um, well, there you go. So, but you got to step away from it. And yeah. but even for you to be fully present with uh, your work, with your writing, with your grandkids, uh, the best way you can be present for them is to learn to detach temporarily so that you can be fully present when you're there exactly so that's why it's loving it's a loving thing to do it's not cynicism it's not checking out see people think detachment means oh you're not present anymore you're checked out right Mm. you went on a mental holiday and i'm saying no 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 there there is so okay so jesus says these crazy things and and one of them is uh are you weary are you heavy laden are you burned out right come to me You'll learn to live freely and lightly. Mm-hmm. And I think human beings would pay a lot of money to learn to live freely and lightly. I think it's what all I think it's what all these classes and the yoga and all that's about. People are mindfulness and you know uh, books like Boundaries and and others. I think people would love to learn to live freely and lightly. I don't think we know how to embrace the invitation of yeah. Jesus. And so I'm trying to give some direction into that and learning benevolent detachment, learning to let it go. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I like plugging it into the one minute pause is I can do that for 60 seconds. I, I may not be able to maintain that through an entire day, but I can do it for 60 seconds. I, yeah. I can stop and let it all go. And, and, it, and as your soul gets practiced at it, like riding a bike or 
you know, learning to drive a car or read a book, like you get, you kind of get good at it. And then you're able to, you were able to walk out of a really difficult meeting where really difficult things were said or tragic news was presented and you are actually able to turn it over to God. You're able to let it go so you can walk into your house and be present to the people that you care about. Yeah. Uh, you keep saying let it go. And as a f- father of daughters, I can't not hear <laughs> the uh, Frozen soundtrack. Now, you, you reference that in the book, so it's fair game to talk about it. Um, so, so we have that kind of uh, world in which let it go. And uh, you, you kind of have a, a take on that, that it's it maybe uh, the, the Frozen take on let it go is, uh, is maybe not exactly what you're prescribing. Now, uh, I want to be able to come home to my daughter, so I'm never going to say anything bad about Frozen, so I'll let you do that. But what I will want to talk about, you also reference a book which is, has a title, which I'm going to wager you would not actually say the title of the book, um, though other guests probably would do that very easily. Um, it's uh, the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a, an F, and it's, that book did so well. Three million uh, Three million. Okay, I had listened to it on Audible and I'd done uh, a million at the time I listened to. I, I didn't listen to all of it, part of it. And, uh, it, okay, there's a whole other side conversation about how I feel like that book sparked the cottage industry of books with the F word in the title. Yeah. Did you know? Like, there's just a ton. They're all over the place now. And I'm like, I, I'm probably not going to put that in one of my titles, but it seems like people like that for some reason. Whatever. But what I do want to talk about is that that detachment of I, I don't care about you uh, I, I'm gonna like I, I don't care what's happening in your life it, th- that's not what we're talking about here this is a it, no. in some ways like Nowen's, uh rhythms of ministry where it's uh, solitude before ministry and those things always go together yeah that's good Luke yeah and actually to be fair he, he the author of that book makes he makes a good case he says you only have so many F's to give you know and I don't mean like caring. He's like, yes, I care about this, I care about that. Well, we're being asked to care about everything. And, and you know what I first noticed this? My, all three of my sons attended uh, Christian colleges at their own choice. That, that was something they wanted to do. And the inundation, there were, the, for some reason, the, the Christian academic world right now feels that you, you really are not educating these kids appropriately unless you inundate them with the tragedy of the world. Do you know what's happening in Sri Lanka? Are you aware of what's happening in human trafficking? Are, and they, you know, every week there would be this new cause. And what I was watching, my, these, these earnest, caring young people were getting compassion fatigue. Hmm. Again, that's a very real thing. Caretakers suffer from it. Therapists suffer from it. Doctors, you know, people in the helping professions, social workers. This is very well Compassion fatigue is a real thing. Well, and now it's just spread out to the entire church because we are asking people to care about everything equally. And you can't do that. And, I, and so that's his point in that book. I, I, it's actually, he's right. You can't, no human being can care about everything equally all the time. You've you got to learn to let it go. You've got to learn to, to release things. And, and that, okay, First Peter 5, that's the invitation. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. There, this, is, this is, you know, biblically rooted that human souls are invited to care and to love, but also to learn the art of turning it over to someone with bigger shoulders than yours. Yeah, and, and to truly be able to love your neighbor it starts with you being able to love yourself. Uh, you mentioned this in the book that if, uh, 
if loving yourself, uh, there's a C.S. Lewis quote which you reference about uh, if if uh, you don't love yourself, the idea to love your neighbor, it's probably not a very good suggestion if you don't start with yourself. Um, uh, Bishop Curry, uh, Michael Curry from the Episcopal Church, uh, uh, was on not too long ago, and he talked about the same thing that we've got to love ourselves before we can love other people. D- do you think that the way that we've allowed ourselves to become addicted to uh, technology, to attention of all these things, is a um, maybe like a passive way of not actually loving ourselves by not putting up uh, safeguards? We, we have no idea how to practice safeguards. We have no idea how to be kind to ourselves. But, um, let me put it in, in different language that might help people. The way you treat your own heart is the way you will treat everyone else's. And so if you, if you run like a madman through your day, if you have high expectations of performance, you will put that on other people. And you, you may not say it out loud. You may say, no, 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 I don't, I don't. But your spouse feels it. Ask them. Your spouse feels the pressure to get their act together. You know, your older kids will be able to put words to it. You know, your younger ones might not, but your older kids will be able to tell you, yeah, I totally feel the pressure. I need to run at the level you run at or whatever it is. Fill in the break. You know, Uh, the way you treat your own soul is the way you will end up treating everyone else's. And that is why learning soul care, learning kindness, learning to be the tree that's planted by living water that then is able to flourish through all the seasons, that's what we're after. We're after, we are after flourishing lives. And, and if, if we are flourishing, then you can love so much better. I don't love well when I'm fried. Mm-mm. I don't love well when I'm empty. No. no? The, how, the uh, way I treat my own heart is how I'm going to treat others. Uh, that is a... Uh, powerful indictment against uh, some of us who go, you know what, I need to uh, treat others better because I'm not treating myself better. And that's uh, one and the same, because the way that, in some way, love flows to you, but also flows through you. And if you have anxiety that's flowing to you, then it's going to flow through you just as well. And, you know, I I don't know if you're familiar with Richard Rohr's line, but he says, if you don't transform your pain, you'll transmit it. It's just the same idea that the way that what's going on inside of my heart isn't going to just stay there. It'll flow out of the heart through our words and our actions to others. That's, yeah, that's worth the price of the book right there. Um, some of us, uh, we hear these ideas. Okay, I need to be detached. I need to not stay so connected to, to my phone. Uh, I don't need to reply to every email on the same day. Um, for some, we go, yeah, but my boss uh, they aren't doing this sort of self-care. And so therefore, they're projecting this onto me. And the only way I can keep my job, the only way I can keep pace with my coworkers is that I've got to match the frenetic lifestyle that they have. And so some of this sounds like a privilege that we don't have the ability um, to live into. We, we've got young kids, we've got work, we've got all this stuff going on. So I don't have the privilege to do this. What, what's kind of the, the response or prescription for that? Yeah, that's why chapter one is the one minute pause. 60 seconds, folks. You, you can manage that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I tried in each chapter to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Like, make this very doable. Because you're right, Luke, that's a lot of people's lives. They're, between work and home and kids and aging parents, and yeah, their lives have very little margin. So I don't want to add more. I want to I bring relief. The things that I'm suggesting, for example, the healing power of beauty. 
there's a lot of research showing that beauty heals the soul, heals the brain, heals trauma, and beauty is all around you. And, and you can use your 60-second pause to just stop and just look at something beautiful and let it assuage your soul, let it wash over you. You know, the rain on the windshield, uh, maybe the music that you're playing in your home, the, you know, the tree bark outside your office window or something. Beauty is all around. And, so you don't and, have to live in Colorado Springs. You don't have to live uh, uh, on an island somewhere. Y- you can see that wherever you are. Is that what you're saying? It's everywhere. God saturated the world with beauty. This, this is what, I don't know why this has been missing from so many books on s- spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, that kind of thing. People don't talk about beauty. But, yes. but God saturated the world with oxygen because we are breathing creatures, right? We need it, yeah. we need it all the time. And he saturated the world with water because you can't go four days without it. No human being can go four days without it. Mm-hmm. And, and he saturated the world with beauty. And nobody stopped to go, huh, I guess I need it. Like, you know, it's not just for summer vacation or your honeymoon or, you know, once yeah. in a while. It, it, there are very simple practices like that that are available to the very busy person that will begin to care for your soul. And I just wanted to add one other thought about the, yeah, my boss thing. Yeah, but my boss. The thing is, the healthier you are, the more more wholehearted you are as a human being, the more productive you're going to be. And what they're going to notice is, holy cow, man, you're great. Like, you're creative and you're insightful and you get a ton done and, you know, that's all they care about. They just care about the bottom line. And so the truth is the more wholehearted you are, the healthiness of your soul, the wellness of your being, because you are saturated with the life of God, you're, you're going to be a great employee. Are you kidding me? They're going to wish they had five of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that it, when you are at your best self, your truest self, the way that that will manifest is even in your work environment. And so that's, oh. yeah. That makes perfect sense. Uh, I, I love your commitment to beauty. I love the way that you keep pushing us towards that. Uh, obviously, uh, as I said before, you, you are someone who is a well-noted uh, lover of nature. Obviously, if you live in Colorado, Colorado Springs, you pretty much have to be. And uh, you have the quote in the book about uh, most of us spend 93% of our time indoors. Now, last week, I was in Abilene, Texas, which I don't know if you've ever been to West Texas and Abilene, Texas, but if you live in Abilene, Texas, 93% is probably like a good investment of your life, because I don't know if you've ever seen Abilene. It's not Colorado Springs. But you referenced this earlier. There, there's a study in the book of, um, uh, I think it was either uh, elderly uh, people who, when their retirement community has a window, their, their, their health, actually, their vitality improves compared to not having a a window view yes how how do we get this idea of like okay i can't live inside all the time because it's actually not good for my soul how how can we do that if we don't live in colorado springs yeah colorado springs is actually a very ugly city by the way you you have to make an effort to get out oh yeah it is outside like you got the mountains and all that stuff i guess okay i've flown into i guess colorado Springs. is there um estes park is that Outside of that's a Colorado? long ways from us. That's three hours away. Oh, yeah. Only time I've fl- really been in cars. Is it, it, you got to get in your car, unfortunately. So really? it's really quite like a lot of other Midwestern towns. We have a lot of 
Applebee's and McDonald's and then Walmarts and strip malls I, and stuff. I was in Denver recently, and here's a hot take that I'm going to lose some friends over. Denver's not a pretty city. Like, outside no. of Denver's pretty, but it's not a pretty yep. city. No, they're not. Not, okay. not nor Colorado Springs. So, um, get outside. There, there's a whole lot of reasons for this. When you Let's just go back in the story. You know, human beings were not created to live at the mall. They were created to live in the garden. Mm-hmm. You know, your senses are the doorways of so much nourishment, you know, through the eyes, through the touch, through the ears, you know, the sound of songbirds, the running water, that kind of thing. You know, this, the sound of wind, that, you, it, that is all very, very good for the soul. It makes you very alive. When you, just look at what people do with their vacations, right? They don't go to the mall for the most part. They, they go to nourishing places. You know, they go, to the, mm-hmm. they go to the desert. They go to the ocean. They, you know, they go to the mountains. They go to beautiful places around the world. And even if they choose cities, they go to beautiful cities. They go to Paris, right? Yeah. Or Rome or, you know. Uh, so the point being is this. It was the World Health Organization that came out with this, that we, we now spend 93% of our lives indoors what that does to your soul is it numbs your soul. You, you, your indoor experience, the weather is fake, the noises are fake, most of the surfaces you touch are fake, and it, is, it numbs you. It's like living your life wrapped in bubble wrap. And then you wonder why you just want to eat, you just want to drink, you just want to binge watch. Well, because your soul is hurting but, but you don't realize that it's because you're suffocating. You take a simple walk outside, go eat your lunch at the park. And I've worked in cities. I worked in D.C. I, I worked in a high-level office building in D.C. I hated it. It was killing me. But I could get my lunches, and I could take, I could take a walk. I could go to the, you know, the gallery across the street and look at some art. I could, there was a picnic table on the roof for employees. I'd go eat my lunch on the roof, you know. Like, this is available, people. You, you can get your soul back. You can be a human being that is thriving. Yeah, I've, I, I guess I recently became the age where I enjoy taking walks. And uh, I'm not the age where I consider a walk my exercise, but I assume that's going to happen at some point. But the idea of getting out of the house, just going for a walk in the neighborhood, it, it, it really does something to you. I, so I, I completely agree with this. Uh, one of the things that, that people you know, often have this kind of... Uh, uh, romantic view of nature, like, oh, let's just be in nature and it's, it's going to be perfect and serene and all that. But part of nature is like, um, well, first of all, it's not submissive to your desire for it to fit your uh, weather of choice and you don't get to choose how much light's out there. And also there's like some very dangerous stuff in nature. And you can be at a picturesque beach in Hawaii, but there could be an undertow that could really quickly end your life. And there, there's something about nature that, that makes you realize like, hey, you're, you're not the alpha dog here that you're on someone else's turf and that you aren't the master of your own existence. Yeah, and that's why it's good for the soul. Nature is designed to teach the soul so many lessons. And one of them is there is a way things work. And when you're in nature, you have to cooperate with the way things work. You know, you you can't just ignore that undertow and go for a swim. you got to go, okay, we're not swimming today. Like, yeah. there's a way things work. And that, those are good lessons for the soul. Why is it good for the soul? Because, the okay, all of human existence right now, the entire world that we live in is designed for your comfort. Okay, so you've got seat heaters in your car, 
and, and, and you can, you know, you, you don't even have to go to the grocery store anymore, right? You place your order online and they deliver it to your house or you pull up to Whole Foods and they bring it out to your car, or whatever. You know, you're a Prime member now and all that. I mean, really, your entire existence, everything is designed around hyper comfort now. But comfort does not shape strong souls any more than indoor plants can survive outdoors. And, and, and the scripture is very clear on this, so that, you know, when the winds come and the storms of life come upon you, if your soul has been weakened by continual comfort, then you are not able to handle the more difficult or, frankly, the more exciting things of life. What do you mean exciting things? God takes every human being into a story that is way beyond their capacity. This is one of the basic themes of Scripture. I mean, you just take Gideon, Noah, Abraham, you know, Sarah, Rahab, you know, the Mary, the mother of Jesus. Are you kidding me? Their stories are wild stories in the hands of the living God. And, and when they say yes, they end up going into a great adventure before them. And, and if you would live with the living God, your life will not be designed around comfort, but I guarantee you it will be thrilling. Hmm. Hmm. It's like the quote, uh, uh, here's the world, beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid, right? Yeah. I'm sure I botched that quote. Uh, but like, life is not always going to go the way you want, but there's something about that, that, that God is in the midst of it with you, and that something can happen even if it's not what you imagined or you pictured your life to be. Yes. But this is... I, well, so the, the basic principle of the book is this, is that the hour that we're living in right now is actually very brutal on human souls for a whole variety of reasons. The pace of life, the amount of media, you know, that we don't have community. Most people are very lonely, on and on and on I could go. This is a very difficult time right now to be a human being. And this kind of environment requires a life that is saturated with God. If you are saturated with God, you will thrive. But the environment that we're living in is perfectly designed to keep that from happening by keeping you distracted and keeping you in the shallows and keeping you numbed. And so what we want to do, we want to practice soul care. We, we want to be those trees that are planted by streams of water so that we are strong and well and when joy is present, we are present to the joy. And when hardship is present, we can handle it. It doesn't take us out. Like trees, you know, they get knocked over in the wind because their roots are so shallow. And so one of the reasons that we can't handle adversity uh, as well as we could is because we have become so shallow with our roots. Is that what, is that what you're saying? That we have not developed a, a foundation to withstand that? Literally. We have literally shallowfied our souls. Hmm. I don't know if that's a word, but I definitely think it should be. We have shallowfied yeah. the souls. It, it's like Jesus' teaching of uh, a man who builds his house on the rock versus on sand. I mean, this is... Exactly. In both stories, the storm comes, by the way. Yep. yep. The, the, the storms are going to come in life. That's part of life. In this world, you will have trouble. But... God is with you in them. And if you have roots, you can survive that. So, uh, okay, so your prescription for all of us. Um, one minute pause. You do them 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and when you get to work and when you come home from work. Am I, those four? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, 
He's running he, away. He just shut <clears> the door. And now he is back I'm to back. his seat. In fact, we have developed an app, free. It's on the App Store, uh, iPhone and Android. They will walk you through the one-minute pause practice. There's a one-minute pause. There's a three-minute. There's a five-minute. There's a ten-minute. And what, what what's the name of the app? It's called One Minute Pause one minute by Ransom Ransom Tart. Okay. One, one minute, minute pause. We can Free, all do that. Easy, it's beautiful. Okay, um, so people. People go download One Minute Pause, and then yeah. they can get themselves a copy of Get Your Life Back, and then, you know, 30 days from now, you might have more of your life back to you. You're going to be better. I guarantee it. I love it. I love it. Uh, John, thank you so much for the time. It has been an absolute honor, and um, good luck on the book. Yeah, Luke, thanks. It was a really good conversation. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.